And that's just the wildest thing. That is pretty wild. Sort of- the cool thing is that since it's in the Vinland Saga, that does make it top 10 anime betrayals. <laughs> True. <laughs> it is an anime betrayal. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Overly Sarcastic Podcast. I am your host, Blue, and I am joined today by uh, a guest, friend of the channel, friend of us, Ludo History, a.k.a. Yellow, a.k.a. Adam. Hello and welcome. It's so great to have you on here today. Hello. It's good to be here. And we, of course, are always joined by our podcast producer uh, and editor, Indigo. Say hi. How dare you make me talk in public? (laughs) <laughs> on my own podcast, no less. <laughs> <laughs> Last time you were half of the conversation, so this is uh, this is a, a, a light treatment uh, compared to the the lift uh, of, of having to carry half the conversation. Last time, uh, Red uh, once again will not be joining us this week. Uh, last time she was out uh, investigating the inciting incident in a hero's journey, was able to wrap that up without without too much issue. Uh, however, um, she needed to pop across uh, over to the Mediterranean to do some some research on Egyptian deities and. And she uh, she's stuck in the Suez Canal. Long story short, um, it <laughs> you know it should have been resolved. We thought it was going to be fine. She was like, "Oh, well, I'll take the scenic route. Ah, oh, you know, go see the canal." And fucking nope. Uh, so that's a yikes. Uh, she'll she'll be back in in two weeks though. So so no worries there. Um, but it's okay. We're we're gonna have fun. It's it's, it's an oops all history episode uh, on the OS Pod today. So uh, Adam, it is so great to have you on. For those of our viewers who are either uh, new to the channel or have not been uh, much in our our streaming sphere, could you introduce yourself uh, for those who don't know you from our, our God of War live streams and the the one time that. That we both suffered through uh, AC Valhalla uh, on on our on uh, here on OSP. <laughs> yeah, so I'm Adam, uh, also known as Yellow. You also forgot the time I've appeared on the channel on the last Vikings video. The Viking video. That's right. That's right. Oh, I've I'm actually been yeah, on they the channel in a full video. <laughs> but I've also been like a longtime former admin on the Discord server. I'm actually a professional historian, so I have a graduate degree in Viking and Medieval Norse studies, so I'm our resident kind of Norse mythology and history expert consultant for the channel for, what, three years now? Yeah, It's already been like three that. years? Yeah. I, I worked with you on, like, the first Vikings video. Yes. Too. That was, like, the first yeah. time we worked together, so. Yeah, uh, and that was, yeah, that was, like, my junior summer of college before senior year, so, yeah, that's, like, that's, like, three or four years. Yeah. That's a good long while. You, you, you've been around in, in many different little corners of the channel uh, over time, taking on various different roles, so, yeah, th- there are a lot of different uh, aspects to, uh, to, to touch on. Yeah. But I also have my own channel. Uh, I stream uh, historical games commentary, partially thanks to Blue with the live streams, getting me encouraged to start that under the name Ludo History. And I also make video essays on YouTube. So I've got one coming out actually this week on what I'll affectionately call Snow Vikings. <laughs> I, I am very excited for that. You mentioned um, that the the script kind of ballooned and ballooned, um, so I'm I'm very excited to see what the final product is because I think we can uh, Red and I could could sympathize with uh, having an idea for a script and then starting writing and then you keep writing and you keep writing and you keep writing and then suddenly you're looking at a script way longer than what you planned for, which mm-hmm. is um, what happens to me a long time ago when I was doing my Rome series. I, I originally had such a neat organized plan for myself. It was going to be a video on the Roman Republic 
Republic, a deep dive on the Punic Wars, and then one video on Caesar and Augustus. Ten minutes. It was going to be easy. I wrote the Caesar when script. Why did you think that would work? I, I, I was dumb. I was a college student. I, I, <laughs> I thought far too highly of myself and too lowly of Roman history. So I wrote a 17-minute script for Julius Caesar, and then my Augustus video turned out to be three videos totaling about half an hour long. Uh, and then just this past week, I, I recut those videos. I originally wrote it as one script, and all my friends said, Blue, you absolutely cannot make that one video. No one will watch it. So I cut them together for the history resummarized and put that up on the channel uh, a week and a half ago or two weeks ago uh, and now it exists in its its original intended form one almost half hour long video and everyone loved it so that everyone was great I feel it. very satisfied with myself about that <laughs> <laughs> turns out with enough time and enough subscribers everyone will love the 30 minute monstrosities of beautiful Roman history Exactly, exactly. And oh my god, it absolutely is a monstrosity. The, the history of the late Republic is, is very interesting to dig into. That's basically like the entire bread and butter of the YouTube channel, uh, Historia Civilis. Uh, not a friend of the channel, but a channel which I very much uh, admire and respect. He basically is like the guy to go to for Roman history. Like I, I talk about the late Republic in like a video and a half. Half of his channel is the late Republic. <laughs> he goes so much into depth on it. It's amazing. I mean, everything from the late 2nd century BC straight through to the end of the 1st century AD yeah. is just a hot mess for it, like 200 years straight. It, it just kind of goes and goes and goes, and it never stops. It's like the Gracchi brothers get assassinated in 133 BC, and then just the floodgates open, and it's just absolute bloodbath. Go, go, go. Kill every Roman you see to claim power. And then it's that until like Vespasian happens. It's just a solid, absolute nightmare. But that's why it's so much fun for historians. So um, I, I enjoyed putting the video together because it's it, it's fun to see the, the sort of trajectory of like, you know, we start with, oh, shit, Caesar's dead. Where do we go from here? And then, you know, you see, oh, okay, well, we've got to clean up the assassin's mess. And then, okay, well, there are two really powerful people left in Rome. And clearly it can only be one. So how's that going to go? And it's okay. So Octavian offs Mark Antony. And then how is he going to stop the same thing from happening that just happened 20 years ago? And then you see like the whole plot progression of, of how he, he does the empire and sets it up so that it doesn't immediately fall apart. The Roman state becomes able to withstand dummies like Tyson. Tiberius and Claudius and Nero yeah. and um, the who's the the third guy Caligula yeah uh, Claudius was fine uh, Claudius was fine he was yeah. he was solidly fine I don't have anything really interesting to say about him because he was so mediocre he was passably pleasantly mediocre which is the best thing you can say about early Roman emperors um, so yeah I, I had a lot of fun with that video just remastering it doing all the the new um, maps and the new animations and all that kind of stuff. Admittedly, I did break my one rule was that last time I said, yeah, and the great part about this series is that I won't re-record the scripts. I will use the original audio to stop myself from going down the infinite rabbit hole of just rewriting everything. And I, 95% of the script is the same. I changed a couple lines that were either skirting, you know, skirting the line of accuracy or implied something I didn't necessarily want it to imply. So it's still like 95% there, but I did end up re-recording it because there were some audio issues between the first and second and the third videos that I could have fixed 
but it would have taken longer for me to fix it than to just re-record it. So I'm like, you know what? Shit, while I'm here, I might as well. So yeah, that line of thinking fair. is dangerous, but I think it ended up making a better video uh, because of it. So <sighs> I would agree. Yeah, those are fun. Those videos are yeah. so much fun. And it's like, I, I feel like I, I get to create the version of that story that I always wanted. But in the beginning, I was so limited by, you know, my college schedule to actually like sit down and make that one half hour mm -hmm. video. But now it's like, ah, it exists and no one can stop me because now I'm a professional <laughs> and I can make my own choices. <laughs> <laughs> yep. By yeah. the way, you talk about how Augustus did so much to try and stop it. I think your video maybe understates just how close reality came to totally scuffing that plan. Yes, uh, I, I mentioned it offhandedly in the very end that basically Augustus just had like random sicknesses every two years that basically put him on his deathbed and he didn't die. But also there were a lot of other very tiny things here and there and here and there that could have completely ruined it. So when I say, oh, you know, after Actium, Augustus went back to Rome to deal with a bread famine, that could have toppled him if things went a little bit differently. Because the whole problem with, with the Mediterranean was was that after the Punic Wars, the once very fertile fields of Italy were now not really operating at 100%. Like, sure, they were still, you know, it was one of the two breadbaskets of the Mediterranean, the other one being Egypt, but it was not able to solo carry as it once could. So when things got a little bit dicey and an Italian harvest wasn't so good, suddenly all of the Roman Republic could not feed itself. <laughs> so yep. when, uh, when Octavian goes back and he's like, oh God, we don't have enough food, what the hell do we do? Um, the immediate answer is conquer Egypt as soon as possible and take that food back. So then you have a second major breadbasket to lean on because Italy and Egypt were the two like agricultural pillars that kept the empire going. So that's why he was so terrified when, when little Cornelius Gallus was like, oh, I, I put down a rebellion in Memphis. I'm gonna build a little statue to myself. Augustus is like, no, you don't. You die right now. Get that idea yeah. out of your head. Because all it takes is someone just slightly disrupting the outflow of grain or slightly commandeering an Egyptian army for themselves because Egypt was so rich, so powerful, and so productive that a disruption to any of those three things could just completely topple the system. So poor Augustus was absolutely terrified the entire time that Egypt would just go rogue enough to ruin his plans. Yeah, no, Adam, you're totally right. There are so many things that could have scuppered it entirely, but Augustus managed to, to, to tuck and roll through all of them somehow. <laughs> Uh, one other thing, though, that I wanted to address was that uh, I got a handful of comments in the video talking about the whole, like, Augustus doing Roman sacrifice thing and how I paint the picture of, like, oh, you know, Romans did not do that. But people pointed to a couple of examples. One is the killing of uh, the Vestal Virgins, uh, priestesses of, of um, Venus, which was a thing. Uh, dubious as to whether or not it, it, it's, it was a thing at that point in time. But the other example they pointed to is at the end of Triumphs where uh, prisoners of war were strangled in front of the temple of Jupiter Optimus Maximus, Jupiter Best and Greatest. And I couldn't find a source for that anywhere but the Historia Civilis video on Triumphs. So, I, I mean, he does his research, I, I, I trust him, but I, I couldn't find a specific citation of when that started, how prevalent it was, whether that was every Triumph or whether it was only certain things. But in his video, he makes the case that the Romans didn't call that human sacrifice. It was just, oh, we happens to kill them in front of the temple of Jupiter Optimus Maximus uh -huh. five minutes before we sacrifice a bunch of animals but that that one is that one's that one's different but a lot of people around the republic were still like this is 
this is bad. This is this is this a little is... human sacrifice. So my claim that you know, oh, Romans did not do that is maybe a little dubious, depending on on how much you lean into the example of of triumphs as an example of, of human sacrifice. Certainly, they they almost never did it on on Romans themselves. Example of the Vestal Virgins possibly being a thorn in that, but um, the the triumph thing was a isolated enough incident that if it did happen the way that is described in the Historia Civilis video, I think it's still fair to say that Octavian's decision to sacrifice 300 prisoners of war basically on the spot was still pretty yikes, specifically because he sacrificed it to the temple of his father. So it's not just like, oh, these are, these are, uh, you know, these killings are for the glory of Rome. We're sacrificing them to Jupiter, even if you call it sacrifice. It's like, I am killing these people on my dad's altar. Yeah. That's way more of a yikes. So I think, I think the point still stands, even if there is a valid debate to be had about how human sacrifice you know, the, the triumphs were, how human sacrifice the Vestal Virgins were, and, and whether or not the uh, altars of Perugia are, are really that much of an exception. I think it's, it's firmly within the realm of debate. Um, and that was the one common criticism that I saw, so I just wanted to, to address that here. Um, mm -hmm. It's very valid for people to bring it up. Yeah, I think, though, definitely the statement that Augustus was super breaking tradition, it holds water no matter which way you slice yeah. it, because that was that was a rough moment for everyone's perception of reality at yeah, the time. Yeah, everyone saw it as a yikes. Whether or not it was truly the only time that Roman human sacrifice happened, everyone was like, what the hell, dude? You went way too hard. You gotta tone that down. So yeah, de definitely weird. And I, I think there, there's a handful of discussions around Augustus and Octavian as to as to just how problematic they are. Um, and I personally, in in my videos, have come down a lot more harshly on Octavian and Augustus than I have on Caesar for reasons that took me a long time to figure out. And after lots of thinking, my my best guess is that the reason that Caesar doesn't mentally bother me as much than Augustus, even though they fundamentally did a lot of the same things, is that basically all of Augustus's career was built on one form of deception. Oh, you know, Gaius Julius Caesar, my great uncle who I am loosely related to, uh, is my dad. And that dad is a god. And uh, Mark Antony is not actually Caesar's Avenger. I am. And actually, Mark Antony isn't even Roman anymore. And actually, the Civil War is not against him. It's actually against Cleopatra. And uh, I'm not actually making myself emperor. I'm restoring the Republic. At every step, there is fundamental deception being done. Whereas Caesar, for all of his many faults and the genocide, he never lied to anyone. He, you know, he was very straightforward. He laid his cards on the table. And if you got trampled by him, that's kind of on you. I'm, I'm, I'm being hyperbolic. I'm not trying to, to the, the excuse the actions like of a, a genocidal maniac too much. Um, but there is a fundamental difference as to as to what one did than the other, which is why I, I can kind of like let my uh, affection for Caesar get the better of me sometimes. Um, <laughs> and the cheekbones. I mean, uh, come on, I, I, I can't lie. Yeah, good cheekbones. <laughs> They're both kind of terrible people. I think we can be. I think we can I, be in. Uh, I think we can all agree. Vercingetorix was done very dirty. Vercingetorix was done so dirty. Like I'm impressed by the double wall thing, but like shit, Vercingetorix was done dirty. He did not deserve that. He was just trying to live his life. Uh, yeah. Can you imagine? Just like on paper. Caesar tries to escape consequences for political malfeasance during his term as consul, so he goes into Gaul and commits a genocide, conquers an entire corner of Europe for himself, and just waltzes back in like nothing's wrong. What, and then gives what an absolute madman. And gives us 2,000 years of bad historiography to boot. 
Oh boy, does he. <laughs> People uh, who treat Debel Ogalica as an objective mm. source. I mean, it, it is a useful Speaking source. It's which, just so crazy biased. Um, so yeah, uh, let's let's switch off of Roman nonsense. I think I think we we've we've uh, no, plumbed that no, well no, dry. We, um, <laughs> we we gotta stick with the Roman nonsense because Caesar is our one source for Wicker Man. He is the only mention of the Wicker Man in Britannia. Oh, no. <laughs> Yay. So, Adam, let's let's transition. Let's talk about. Um, do you want to talk about your your most recent streams? Because you've been playing through a lot yeah. of Assassin's Creed Valhalla. Let's let's dig into that absolute oh, sure. trash fire of a game. <laughs> oh god, it's such a good bad time. So every weekend I've been doing it. We're kind of in the last month. Finally, thank God. Uh, <laughs> I have two hundred hours in that game. I am sick of it. I'm so sorry. Yeah, but the last two streams have been absolutely incredible because they illustrate the dichotomy of this game so so well yeah. so two weeks ago i had the what they call glowichestershire which is just the worst <laughs> pronunciation glowichestershire fine gloucestershire fine this weird hybrid nonsense no but just making up more syllables to throw in there for fun <laughs> or just mispronouncing the syllables that are there yeah that too. it's terrible uh in gloucestershire which is solidly Martian at this point, and has mm -hmm. been Martian for a very long time. <laughs> Everyone has Welsh names, and the story arc is just the 1973 Wicker Man movie with a Viking in it. Mm, I mean, that's pretty par for the course. Like, it's, No, this, it, this was unusually bad for the course. Oh, okay, okay, let's go, let's go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so this is why I mentioned Caesar being the source for the Wicker Man, because... They're using a reference from Caesar about, you know, roughly 50 BC for his mention of a workman in Britannia and using Christopher Lee's interpretation of that in a modern folk horror film and just saying, yeah, this is totally a thing that a Celtic Christian hybrid people worshipping the god Cernunos did in Gloucestershire in the 9th century. <laughs> it's, it's great because you take Debella Gallica, 50 BC, and the Wicker Man, 1900s, and just the middle point is, is the 8th century, or the 9th century. It is perfect. perfect. You just, just, just average it out. <laughs> Nailed it. That's totally how history works. According uh, to this but, game, yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah. Here's the thing. So, right, they talk a lot about, you know, Cherninos, or the Daughters of Nimue, and some random Arthurian nonsense, and a druidic cult. Literally none of that exists in anywhere in Britain, much less Gloucestershire, in the 9th century. Uh, Cherninos, oh, we have God. one inscription that mentions Cherninos, and the first letter is actually missing. The linguists are the ones who are going, no, that's got to be a C. So just a guess. <laughs> and the, right, the developers of the game were like, yeah, put it in. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty well accepted. There's some okay. other linguistic cognates that make it pretty clear, like, Cherninos is probably the correct iteration. But that's a continental figure. That one inscription is from the Rhine Valley, I believe. That's like the same and place. We have, we Mainland have visual... Europe, Germany, exactly. Britain. It's, it's the same. Yeah. <laughs> We've got, like, the Gundestrop Cauldron, which is Thracian silver found in Denmark that shows this horned god figure. Uh, and since he's surrounded by animals and has horns, he's clearly a nature deity. He's not, he's not a nature deity. He's probably a trade deity, god of wealth and trade. Yeah, the horns totally make sense for that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he has horns. It's not just, just raw aesthetic taking over. <laughs> yeah, no, no. I mean, the actual god has horns. It's just that associating the horns with nature is just a thing people did for a long time, and it's wrong. Okay. <laughs> yeah. 
It's bad, but I had friends on, specialist in Welsh history and a specialist in Irish history, and we just had such a great time losing our minds. I won't spoil what happens, but uh, if you check the show notes, there will be a link to the VOD of the video. Skip to the four hour mark. Uh, if you can't watch anything else in the video, skip to about the four hour mark and just watch basically that 15 minutes. It's worth it. Yeah, there's uh that's right. You you were telling me about this after it happened. There's uh there's some stuff that should not be anywhere near the British Isles. <laughs> a lot a lot of stuff that shouldn't be anywhere near that all at the same time. Yeah. It was a lot God. to deal with. But then the very next week, so this past weekend, uh I did uh Nottinghamshire. So Nottinghamshire. Apart from Robin Hood existing, whatever, mm. you had to do it. The game then um has about halfway through the arc a really thoughtful engagement with kind of prophetic vision-seeking, like, spirit. Yeah, I guess a divination ritual is how I'd say it. That's really thoughtful as part of a broader funerary rite. And it does it really well. Like, genuinely, <laughs> there's some detail. Like, it's wrong in a lot of nuanced ways. But fundamentally, its core idea and what it's yeah. arguing with that is just so thoughtful and so well done that I wasn't sure it was the same video game. It is amazing. And and even when I when I touched on this in, in my review of Valhalla, it is amazing the duality of how much stuff they do get weirdly very right and how much stuff they just absolutely lose it on. So so Adam, in the process of, of playing this game and, and streaming it, how do you just approach the process of doing historical criticism while in the middle of a video game. Because sometimes when, like when Red and I and, and, and Cyan uh, are, are playing our games for live streams, we will sometimes kind of like get into some details here and there, but usually it's just kind of background visuals for us having a, a like a mini podcast. You are doing a lot more complex analysis like on the fly as things are happening, which is extremely impressive and very fun to watch. What is the process like of doing that kind of, of commentary in the middle of your gameplays? Uh, yeah, honestly, it's complicated. So one thing I try and do is, especially on big games, to not go in blind. Because mm -hmm. uh, obviously, even though I have expert training, I cannot be an expert on everything. And so yeah. I need to know what I am looking for before I go in. So thus far, it's been a lot of games that I already know at least kind of well. And AC Valhalla, I did an entire playthrough kind of con concurrent with the streams in order to get ready for the streams. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so it's only into like the very final quest where I was like, no, I'm going to do this one blind. Yeah, uh, save that one. But after that, it's just really a lot of paying attention in order to see, well, what feels weird? Like if we look at a piece of armor, what time period does this develop? What aesthetics are they drawing on? Taking a lot, like years of training, to be honest, mm -hmm. uh, and then making sure I've got all of that on hand and then really trying to pay attention to what the game is arguing, right? It can't just be background. And so there'll be times where I just need to stop and stare at it for a moment while my brain <laughs> figures out what the heck it's doing. Yeah, uh, let the gears so, spin right, as you're trying to process, why do they have that symbolism from that wrong time period in that other continent here? And <laughs> just like, exactly. let it wash over you and then come up with a cohesive response. <laughs> exactly. And so, right, visuals are kind of our big giveaway here for mm -hmm. a lot of things. You know, runes, especially in AC Valhalla, looking for runes is just a great place to start because anytime they're doing runes, 
they're doing something that could theoretically be historical. Mm -hmm. And so, right, that opens a door into a lot of other stuff. So, like, we found a pot during the Gloucestershire arc, which is in a Neolithic long barrow, uh, Bella Snap, a very famous long barrow in Gloucestershire that has a false entrance. They do the false entrance right, but where the false entrance is, they put a pot, which is mostly an asset reused from Odyssey. So it's got, like, Roman or Greek uh, painting around the side. But then they added an Elder Futhark inscription. Elder Futhark is from the continent, uh, Frisia and Denmark, from the 4th to 7th century CE. Mm -hmm. And so, right, that lets me talk about that, uh, divert from the game into talking about Elder Futhark, but also just be confused by that choice. Because <laughs> it was a choice. The, the, it's not like there's just random stuff that happens in this game. Exactly. There's so many distinct, specific choices that are made, and I guess that's kind of the fun of, of, of digging into it on the streams, because you get to moments like that where it's mm-hmm. like, Okay, we gotta anal- we gotta analyze this for a exactly. second because there's some nonsense right. happening. So that's that's got to be so much of the fun of it is just coming across something and thinking, what was the thought process here? Uh-huh. What oh, on yeah. earth? The the icing on the top. Belasnap, Neolithic site, very much indigenous Western England, very very old. The thing they put in there is an Isu artifact called the Morrigan's Guard, which uses a Celtic trinaut that probably represents the Christian trinity. That's and, yikes. <laughs> yeah, at, in the same vein, at the Sudden Who burial site, right? The famous early English mound burial. Yeah. They don't put the helm. They don't put no. anything that re- references the helm. They put a nonsense great shield. And that's such a layup because like everybody who can recognize the Sutton Who Helmet, even if they don't know what that's called, like they, exactly. everyone's seen that design somewhere and right. they don't think to do that. It's like, come they on. Put it in, no, no. They put it in the microtransaction store. Oh, the bastards. <laughs> yeah, they did. Oh, God. Yup. I think that's, yeah, pretty indicative, wow. right? There's so many intentional decisions mm-hmm. and so many baffling decisions. So many baffling decisions. Speaks speaks a lot to how we kind of imagine the Vikings and broader, more broadly, the Middle Ages. Yeah. And it's a lot of, even though it's suffering, it's also a lot of fun to <laughs> dig into. <laughs> and that's kind of what you're doing in this upcoming video essay that you mentioned, t- taking a look at the, what was it, the, the progression of the snow Viking aesthetic? Um, yeah, I'm basically. sure that's like a lot of the same processes of like, what the hell choices were being made here to get us to this specific aesthetic that, you know, whatever the game it is, Skyrim yep. or, uh, or Valhalla or um, what was the third one? Uh, God of War. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I've been a lot of it on Game of Thrones. No shock there. The mm. cultural powerhouse that nobody remembers existed. For better and for worse. <laughs> for better, uh, mostly for better. Yeah. Um, but aside from the, the video essay coming out later on, uh, what do you have coming up next in the stream schedule that people can be looking forward to? Uh, so in the stream schedule coming up, as I said, every weekend is kind of doing... AC Valhalla, but on the day this comes out, so was that Wednesday the thirty first? We're yeah. going to be doing a Valheim stream, which we are welcome to do multiplayer on. So anyone watching who has that, get in contact with me. We're going to try and build a stave church, see if Ooh. the tools the game lets us do create a recreation stave church. I need to do fun. some prep work for that, but we've got the dragon heads. We might be able to do this. I believe in you guys. That'll be fun. Yeah. Um, uh, for anyone who's listening uh, bright and early Wednesday morning, get on over to that. That'll be great. Um, yep, that'll we'll be to, what, we'll tweet about 7 that when it goes p.m. Up. Central Time. 
Okay, so, cool. Yeah, no, that's yeah. That, that's very achievable. So yeah, um, and then I will be on uh, at some point uh, in April to do the. Uh, which one did you want to have me on for? Was it Ireland or uh, was it something else? Jotunheim. Oh, Jotunheim. That's right. That's right. Oh, yeah. I was there for the. Was it Asgard? The Asgard. Yeah, yeah, the Asgard. For Asgard. How was uh, how was that for your end? <laughs> that was so weird because like I could tell where they were pulling all of the MCU aesthetics from, but then there were also all of these really weird. Greek things that were there. That's way too much lore that we don't need to get into right now. If you're curious, you can watch the VOD. Um, but oh, that was a mess. So I'm looking forward to more of that nonsense for for Jotunheim, because what I've heard about the way that they they wrangle the Greek uh, pantheon and the Norse pantheon through the <laughs> game's lore. This is going to oh, be an absolute oh. nightmare, and I'm very excited for that. So, yep. um, so uh, that's probably either the 10th or the 17th. Uh, yep. But then, yeah, coming up uh, May 1st is in Ireland. DLC super stream. God, I, I, if I'm not on, I will at least be watching because I, I have been dreading that since I first announced it. I put it in my Valhalla review. Like, this, this DLC is not out. It will be terrible. It, the way that oh, they have marketed it, it will be terrible. <laughs> I am so excited. I have friends that I'm going to have a great time with. Uh, the same group I did the Gloucestershire arc with. Plus one to get all of our special, a whole bunch of specialist knowledge at the same time to just see what happens. See what on earth goes down in this. Oh, I'm very excited for that. So is there anything else that you'd like to uh, to mention that's that's up and coming? Um, Uh, Yeah. Just to reiterate where where people can find uh, your streams if if they're curious by all this uh, this uh, deep dive conversation. Yep. Uh, So one more thing coming up on April 9th, there will be a lecture on uh, Norse, kind of how to study Norse mythology and a little bit of background on all of the kind of source material and some of the thorny issues of it, some of my usual bugbears. If you've known me for any length of time in like the past <laughs> year, I've probably r- talked about like half of them to you. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. It's always we the same few things, to. isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it pretty yeah. much is. Same but with that's recent up... it's the same few damn things. <laughs> exactly. That's coming up on April 9th and that'll be on my stream, which is twitch.tv slash Ludo History. Great. Uh, as far as uh, OSP <laughs> things coming up, uh, it's been a bit of a uh, of a quiet time for OSP. Uh, both Red and I have had uh, our own things going on. I'm in the middle of moving an apartment. The desk that I am sitting at right now will be disassembled in about, you know, five hours. Uh, so uh, we'll have that going on. We'll hopefully get back to streaming uh, in, in the, the early weeks of April, but uh, we'll We'll get to it when we get to it. It's been kind of a, a, a crap year so far. Um, but uh, we will have a new enamel pin uh, for those of you who who love those pins so much. Um, I, I will not spoil what it is. If you're the patrons, you, you might be able to take a guess. Um, but that will go up on April 9th. So Red's next video will have an enamel pin uh, attached with it. Um, it'll be out for two weeks. So limited edition, get it while it's there. You don't want to miss it. Uh, we will have another chance at the very end of the year. Black Friday, we always rerun all of our pins from that year. Always, this will be the second time we've done it. Um, but uh, hey, if you like those pins, tradition. stay tuned for uh, stay tuned for the 9th. It'll be an absolute blast. Uh, and with that, that's that's all I got to, to plug today. I think it is time to get into the questions. Hello and welcome to the Q&A portion of the Overly Sarcastic Podcast, where we answer your questions from our Ask OS Pod channel on Discord. If you want a chance to ask a question for the podcast, head over there and drop your cue, and I'll continue reading through it as I have been doing for the last 14 episodes. 
This first question comes from one of our patrons. If you want to support the podcast, help feed Cleo and keep my salary paid, consider becoming a patron. It is, uh, also gives you the opportunity to have your question read first here on uh, the Overly Sarcastic Podcast. I almost forgot the name of our show for a second there. Actually, real quick, on the subject of Patreon, uh, every season we put out a little seasonal update um, for our patrons where you can also vote on, on future video topics. Uh, that one just went up a few days back, so if you're a patron, go check out the site. There's a seasonal Ooh. update waiting for you. And, and Indigo, uh, uh, take it away. Of course, of course. <laughs> Fun updates from the OSP Patreon world. This question comes from Riley, Keeper of the Eternal Log. Yellow, what originally piqued your interest in Norse literature and mythology? Yeah, so this was a long time coming. Uh, I was one of the kids who would get like every collection of every mythology that they could possibly get their hands on. Probably all of us may have been that yeah. a little bit. <laughs> uh, so I actually m jumped around a lot as a kid as to where was I most excited about? It was Egypt for a while. It was Rome for a while. It was China for a while. And then, what would it be, senior year uh, of high school? Thanks to one teacher, I got a copy of Middle English because, oh boy, I was also the nerd in high school who would rather read Middle English instead of doing their homework. I'd rather do a lot I of things been... instead of doing my homework, so that's honestly not a stretch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, Middle English poetry, but I think that's probably about as crazy as I got. But I also went to a lecture on... Uh, Grete Saga and Beowulf, and after that I was like, yeah, I want to do early medieval. I actually started in Old English uh, in undergrad, and then kind of gradually did a study abroad in London, and the paper I wrote there was kind of on the role of London itself in the 11th century uh, Viking conquests of Knutur in Riki. And after that, I was like, the Vikings are way cooler than the early English side of things because there's so much weird stuff going on. It, yeah. Uh, yeah. So one of the people there, Thorka the Tall, if you watch the Vinland Saga anime, you know, uh, starts out in Knuter's army as one of his lieutenants and then switches sides just halfway through, which is like, he's nope, and actually defends the city of London during a siege from Knuter alongside St. Olaf, or the future St. Olaf of Norway, until uh, King Edmund Ironsides can get back to the city to break the siege. And that's just the wildest thing. That is pretty wild. Any sort of the cool thing is that since it's in the Vinland Saga, that does make it top 10 anime betrayals. <laughs> True. It is an anime betrayal. <laughs> uh, but, right, any sort of narrative of, like, oh, pagan versus Christian just gets totally blasted apart yeah. by that, because Knutur was Christian... Oliver was about to convert to Christianity. Thorkep was pagan his entire life, as far as we can figure out. But he's working with the Christian city of London to defend it against the Christian king, Knutur. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just such a neatly complicated mess that it was way more interesting to start looking into that. And after that, it's been straight on for, what? seven years at this point <laughs> of just doing that yeah no those kinds of periods in history are fun that's why i also really like um medieval spain because it completely blows the notion of like oh yeah this is christian versus muslim blows that right out of the water it doesn't hold it doesn't hold a drop of water uh, that theory is just, just full of holes God, and no. it's so much more interesting because of it so those kinds of stories i can totally see why that was like wait no this rules <laughs> this rules uh yeah it was pretty much gone from there yeah. uh Gradually, I've drifted later and later as to what's interesting. So my current research is primarily 13th and 14th century 
But that's when all of our actual sources for Norse mythology come from, so it's fine. <laughs> that's, that's similar to what I did, too. I started off as like, oh, yeah, you know, ancient Greece, golden age of Athens. And then three years later, I'm like, well, actually, Rome's pretty cool. And I'm like, wait, no, actually, the Byzantines are the best. <laughs> Just slowly <laughs> drifting later and later and later. <laughs> Extended late antiquity studies. Yes. <laughs> I, I would actually like to argue we're still living in late antiquity. No, I, I exactly. wouldn't. Exactly. Like, the argument no. could be made. <laughs> If you're on the Discord, there are people who will fight to defend that stance. <laughs> shout out to Armad Sharazad, who does defend that stance correctly. <laughs> Magnificent. Well, speaking of the Discord, this next question is actually related to it. It comes from Spartan Bunny. To all, I know Indigo has a Discord and is on here, but do Red and Blue ever participate on the Discord? If so, has anything you've ever seen on it influenced your videos? Um, I like to jump on the new video discussion uh, in like the hour and a half after a video goes up. So if you ever want to actually like interact with us on the Discord, at least uh, at least for me, um, that's the time that I like to be on there because reading the comments after a video goes out, jumping on the Discord, um, it's just so much fun to, to have that conversation. And there's really no other place for it because like, you know, I'll post a link on Twitter and it's just kind of like, you know, I get some some fun jokes back and I, and I see the comments and those are really fun. People have have fun jokes. But the, the Discord is the whole point is that it's a free flowing conversation. So being able to talk about the new video after it goes up is always so much fun uh, on there and sometimes I get ideas for things that I want to talk about on the podcast or sometimes I get ideas for you know I put out a video on such and such topic and someone says oh uh, you know this you know here's an interesting thing that you know you didn't really cover in the video but it's like here's a really cool thing and then I'm like oh, maybe I'll talk about that later um, so just the, the conversations <laughs> that come out of the new video discussion are always so much fun for me definitely my favorite part of, of, of having the server yep and I'm around all the time uh if you type literally anything in the Norse Myths chat, uh, it <laughs> summons me. Uh, you can also probably just mention like the Vikings in any other channel, and it will somehow be like saying Bloody Mary in the mirror three times. <laughs> I will pop up and ruin the fun by knowing too much. You just write a script so that anytime <laughs> yes. anyone mentions anything related to, to just like Northern Europe in general, it's just like, oh, mm -hmm. summon him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If, you joke, but I actually have notifications turned on. Good. Amazing. <laughs> yeah, if you see Indigo lurking, it's probably because I'm reading the questions and ask OS pod. Um, I do the same thing that Blue does where after the podcast episodes go up, I try to hang around the Discord a bit um but otherwise i'm largely on there to read the questions <laughs> there's also one funny thing where uh one of our friends whom i will not out uh, uh is is one of our friends from the fencing team and Gosh. always speaks as if he doesn't know us personally I... but i know who he is i always know that you're there and i like to just uh Every time i like to be like oh, I see him start oh typing, you oh green you, you green <laughs> Green, <laughs> you and know he who you are. always incognito, and yeah. I'm like, oh, if only uh, they knew. We won't out him, but <laughs> no, no, it's too much fun Bane with him being incognito. Thorn in my side every time a podcast episode goes. <laughs> um, this next question comes from Rapturous seventy seven, the star sterned. So Yellow's talked on the Discord a fair bit about how he met Red, but what was it like when he first met Blue? And when did you start coming to him for his help using his expertise on the Viking Age and Norse mythology for stuff like videos? Adam, do you want to go or should I? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it actually, I think the only thing before I let you tell the story is that it actually happened the second way around first, where you came to me for help on the stuff before we actually met each other in person, though I had seen you lurking around once when you were hanging out with Red 
uh, Red Roommate on a visit there. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I saw you there, and then I didn't say hi. Okay. Um, <laughs> but yeah, what happened was I was working on the script for my my first Vikings video um, as part of my, uh, my, my summer before... Um, my senior year where I was doing like, okay, I've done a lot of Greece and Rome. Let's, let's go far afield. Let's do a bunch of different cultures. And some of them were better than others. But, um, <laughs> when I was working on the Viking script, Red was like, I've got a friend who's like, this is their thing. Like, do you want to run the script by him? I'm like, oh, like, hell yeah. And you pointed out a handful of things that, that could be improved. Some mm-hmm. were easy changes. Some were more, more complex to wrangle. Um, and, and then we, we, we kind of were chatting back and forth and then, uh, college timing and processes being what they were. Um, uh, we didn't really get a chance to meet each other cause we were never in the same city until mm. Cyan and I went on our, our post-graduation trip to Iceland and ran into you in the middle of Reykjavik completely accidentally you said hi to me because i never having met you didn't actually know what you looked like but you're like hey blue i'm like what what oh and then eventually i'm like only one person could possibly know who i am here <laughs> and we i think uh-huh. we were going to get on a, on like a tour for like the the golden circle route or whatever otherwise we would have like stayed yeah. and got a drink um but that was absolutely hilarious and, th- and after that uh-huh. after graduation we we got you on the streams for the god of war stuff and then uh most recently with uh with valhalla uh, the stream and then the the new Vikings video, which you were very helpful with in the scripting process, and then joining in uh, as a as a guest to to mention the 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 late uh, late medieval period of, of of Christianization and the mess that that uh-huh. entailed, saving me quite a headache. Um, so yeah, yeah that, that, that's my version of the there. story. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah, my version is that I had just gone like I never went downtown when I lived in Reykjavik. I almost never went downtown. I don't like dealing with tourists. Mm-hmm. If I'm living in a place, there are far cooler places than the tourist street. Mm-hmm. But my advisor's office was on the tourist street. Uh. <laughs> and so I had just gone out of a meeting with her and was walking home. And I literally walked past Blue and Cyan in the street. Walk past. My brain processes <laughs> who I just saw. I stop in the center of the crosswalk and turn around and go like, hey, Blue. <laughs> and it took like 30 seconds to figure it out. I was like, what? what? And then oh, and then suddenly, yeah. Red, like, and then Red messaged me going like, what the hell? And then Red's roommate messaged me going, what the yeah, hell? Because and it was hilarious. We both texted Red like, look who I just ran into. And I think we both texted the same picture because oh, yeah. we, we took a picture afterwards. Um, and Red was like, I... I cannot believe you. And this is actually the same trip where I ran into, in Greece, Cyan and I ran into one of my professors in line to go climb up the Parthenon. Uh, and then we ran into one of our friends from fencing. Not ran into, but we, we planned to meet up uh, with one of our friends from fencing in Copenhagen. So I was like, I only plans to meet one friend in Copenhagen, and yet I met someone uh, both in Reykjavik yep. and in Athens. <laughs> Absolute nonsense. Yeah, so much world. fun, though. Uh, yeah. If I remember right, you had been in the city for like 30 minutes tops? Yeah, we just checked our bags, or we just checked into our room like not even an hour beforehand, and we're like, all right, let's go. Let's go see the thing. We got to go do our, our Golden Circle tour. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Absolute blast. <laughs> Such a small, small world. Um, (laughs) but while we have both of our resident historians here, I feel like this is as good a time as any to jump to this question. So this comes from Duckles. How do you write a good history essay? Mm. (laughs) The Uh, silence speaks volumes. (laughs) So, yeah, there's, it's hard. Step one, it's going to be really hard and that's okay. 
even professionals are kind of terrible at it. <laughs> <laughs> but my biggest piece of advice is to know what questions you are trying to answer going in. Yes. If you don't have a strong research question, you don't have a way to actually engage with the evidence and the research you're doing. Mm -hmm. uh, so, right, uh, an example I will give with like Norse mythology is if you're looking backwards towards pre-Viking kind of reconstructed uh, comparative mythological studies, you're going to ask very different questions of our evidence than if you're looking at like post-Christianization after these have lost their sacrality. Yeah. Uh, they're no longer stories that people necessarily believe in, but they're still stories that they tell. Well, what makes them compelling in the high Middle Ages in Iceland that they're still telling these and in Denmark as well, actually, right? You engage with the material, the same set of evidence in a fundamentally different way. And so if you don't know what question that is, you don't know how to treat your evidence to actually pull the things you need out of it. Yeah, that that's a really good perspective. I was going to add that for me in the way that I do research, I the, the mantra that I kind of tell myself is keep digging until you don't have any more questions because then you've gotten enough for the purpose of what you're trying to accomplish. There's obviously more things that have not been, you know, stumbled onto. But if I'm trying to, to write a, a video, which writing a summary is very different from writing a historical essay, which is part of why I was so silent, because I'm like, when was the last time <laughs> that I wrote a historical essay? It's been a few years. Um, but for me, I always I, I keep digging until I no longer have any questions. But uh, Adam, you're definitely right that having the right focus of your essay is is a big part of it. I, I would say for, for, for my two cents that obviously practice is important because the way that I have constructed my summaries has gotten a lot better as I've gotten more practice on it. And especially after I, I made the switch and realized that asking a question of myself in the video or asking a question of the material in the video is the best way to organize the rest of what comes after. So there's a very specific point where around when I introduced the, the catchphrase of let's do some history, the, the sentence that follows that phrase is the fundamental question of the video. Like in the case of the Vikings, like to find out how and why they went as far as they did and why mm -hmm. the Scandinavian diaspora became so big, let's do some history. And then every other video has that asking question that the following summary answers. So it's different from from an essay because it's not trying to argue something in an academic context. It's it's more of an explainer than than an argumentative piece. But understanding what you're trying to accomplish will do a lot for you. But then I think on the material side of things, there's a big difference between writing a historical essay than writing like an essay for English class, which is what most people have a lot of experience in, because it's not like you can so neatly pluck a quote from the page and say, look, here is my argument perfectly supported. It's a lot messier than that. And you have to do a lot more um, analysis of the sources that you're working with to get it to work for you because it's mm -hmm. not there, there's no intent behind it it's not like with with a quote in a book where like the author wrote this or or the oral tradition that composed this poem created this it's not necessarily there for a reason sometimes things just are like that and it's much harder to detangle because it's not necessarily built with the same intent so as a historian it's 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 incumbent on you to dig deeper and work harder to create a meaning that supports your point from the things that you're working with. And I, I think understanding the difference in how arguments are constructed in a historical context and in a pure like literary analytical context will be a big difference as to how successful you are at it. Yeah, 
Uh, I think it's hard to uh, understate just how big that difference is. Mm -hmm. uh, my current like professional research project is looking like uh, environmental history and trying to look at like climate reconstructions and then a cultural history about the responses to those. And it's a lot, but kind of the fundamental idea is, you know, exactly what you said. When people are mentioning the weather in something or the geography of a place or some whatever, that can have intention behind it, but it's also often just kind of there. Mm -hmm. And because it's just kind of there, we're having to pull out really fragmentary, brief mentions and try and stitch together this massive cultural understanding yeah. of this specific moment in time. And I'm having, I'm already looking at the different ways I can do that. This is very early days, but there's so many different types of evidence that I'll really need to draw on for that going from literally the texts that I am studying, the physical manuscripts of the texts, to the contents, to a bunch of different angles of environment in certain contexts. Uh, yeah, it's really looking incredibly broadly in order to find these little dots of intentionality yeah. and cultural information and then draw the lines between them. And, and even when you're working with uh, with textual sources, it's not it's not as easy uh, as just saying, "Ah, oh, yes, it, huh. you know, th there's there's a quote that that completely supports my point in in, in two easy oh, paragraphs. God. It's it's never that easy. And knowing that you have to work to make an argument out of your sources will make it a lot easier for you because you won't be banging your head against a wall thinking, where is it? Where's the one piece of evidence that will make this whole thing come together? It's never like that. It's <laughs> <Ever>. not that. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. I think the last piece of advice is just read broadly. Uh, I read a lot of secondary scholarship. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of people who know a lot about the one thing that they write about. And you want to try and read them and draw on their knowledge. You're not going to do this off of just looking at the primary material. I'm sorry, you can't <laughs> study Greece just by looking at Greek pots. Yeah. No way, no how, it'll never happen. Not a chance. So yeah. <laughs> read scholarship and read a lot of scholarship. Yeah. This next question comes from Grapes, drinker of cold water. Two yellow and the rest, what is a school subject you absolutely despised? You know... In high school, I was actually good at everything, uh, which was kind of depressing. Uh, <laughs> but then in undergrad, they made me do calculus proofs. And I realized Ooh. I really just don't <laughs> care for more advanced math than maybe some light statistics. I just, it's not, not my job. Red's yeah, not here. I, we I'm can say math sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I also yeah, do don't not let like Red math. hear this part of the podcast. For me, I, in the, like... The, the tag yourself meme of like, were you a geometry kid or were you an algebra kid? I was a geometry kid because I like shapes. I like systems. I like the logic of proofs. I can't do numbers math and letters math because I, I mix things up. I drop minus signs. I, I don't like do it right. <laughs> so I have a really hard time with with that corner of mathematics and uh, and the like hard calculation, like calculus kind of stuff, or I'm, I'm much better with shapes and logic and the bigger ideas, which is why I like big picture history and hate like biography history because <laughs> I, I don't like going <laughs> narrow. I like doing big, like large scale systemic thinky stuff. 
Um, so that kind of math is really hard for me. I also did hate history in school, um, all through high school because it was always taught as like the very textbooky, like dry, here are the facts and dates. Here's the absolute truth as written in this book that you have to accept as the yada, yada, yada. And, it's, and not all of my classes were, were quite like that, but it was very much of a, here is the rote understanding of history that we have to breeze through because we're trying to cover a lot of time, uh, and not a lot of, of, class sessions and like I get it but also like oh man was not fun did not enjoy that almost no. at all and it was yeah. only when I took mm. a civ class that I actually started to realize oh wait this is actually kind of interesting because my uh, my ancient world history my European history my American history were very like specifically you know, here is the narrative. Here is the one thing we're going point to point to point to point, talking at all the greatest hits and not spending very much time going into the details on any of them. And then when I did a Civ class about ancient Greece and looked at like, oh, how did the historical development of the Greek polis system change the culture of collective epic storytelling into the very individualized um, lyric storytelling and then into once Athens became the biggest city in the Greek world into the very specific context of like theater productions and philosophy and how did those culture-wide changes influence the literature and like those kinds of things. So much fun. I enjoy Civ a lot more than I enjoyed rote history and learning that opened up the door for me uh, to, to realize yep. that history was not quite as terrible as I once thought it was. God, the school where I work right now has a class called Early History of Mankind, which for about two weeks, I thought was, wait, are we doing an entire thing of just like early hominid to like Neolithic mm -hmm. and Bronze Age stuff? That would be rad. A high school level course that does that? N no, no, it's to 15. It's history from origin of human species to 1500. Mm. Could be worse, but also like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm a medievalist. This is erasure. <laughs> yeah, I, I was uh, a big yeah. language, English, and art kid in high school. So math was my mortal enemy at all turns. Um, but I kind of similar to Blue was not really that into history in particular. Like American history was really you know, big throughout all of high school. Because it's so self-important. American right. history is so self-important. It's not yeah. that interesting. US history is so it's not so fun. Not yeah. um, I also grew up around Philly, so... We'd pretty much spend like 90% of the year on like, hey, have you heard about Betsy Ross? And it's like, oh, God, we're going to go to the Betsy Ross house again, aren't we? Check out this big, <laughs> dumb fucking bell. Did you want to hear about the Revolutionary War 80,000 times every year for 12 years? Well, have I got the educational program for you? Um, yeah. You know, you, I think, you know, the way you guys think about it and the way uh, you two particular talk about it really does make history more accessible. It's It's kind of about finding that niche in it that you enjoy or a way of thinking about mm -hmm. it that really opens it up because once i stopped mm -hmm. studying american history and started studying like chinese history suddenly it was a lot more interesting there's also uh, a lot to be said for the the context of learning about something in like an educational sphere mm -hmm. where if you are forced to learn something and get the bullet points to get the grade it's a lot less fun than just exploring something because you're curious which is why at least for me i feel like once i stopped taking pure history classes, I was able to enjoy it more because I kind of followed what interested me rather than having like, here's the set curriculum, here's what you have to do. Um, and then I could I could create my own little web of interests where <laughs> I weave together Greece and Rome and medieval Europe and the Renaissance in a way that no course would ever trace that line. But I'm tracing that line because that's the things that I like. So it, yeah, there's a lot to be said for how you can enjoy something outside of the strict, rigid, painful, dry academic context that a lot of people will first encounter a subject in. 
Yes. Yep. Yeah. Awesome. Well, this next question comes from Nix. Yellow, what are your thoughts on the way Norse mythology is portrayed in media? And what are your favorite and least favorite mistakes that people have made? Do we have another three hours? <laughs> oh, God, at least. Oh, God. My philosophy when approaching media is always, I would much rather they do something interesting than that they do something right. Because there is no single right. That's a modern construction. Uh, well, it's a like 13th century construction that gets re-emphasized repeatedly into the 19th century. But there isn't, there probably wasn't one canon during the Viking Age of what Norse mythology looked like. So, you know, screw it. <laughs> as long as you're not actively contradicting stuff in dumb ways, mm -hmm. then whatever. Just do something interesting. And so, you know, the things that frustrate me probably most are the sheer amount of influence, repetitiveness that shows up, especially in like the last decade after the MCU gets going mm. of you're seeing the same set of things. I don't want to blame the MCU for this. They've been doing it since the eighties yeah. and people didn't catch on until they became a gig ahead. This yeah. isn't entirely <laughs> on that, yeah. but suddenly everyone is doing the same things. And I don't like that. I don't like when people do the same things. Mm -hmm. So, you know, as far as I said, something really interesting actually is in AC Valhalla last weekend or when we're recording this yesterday's stream was Snottinghamshire and they had a really thoughtful funerary ritual that involved us trying to figure out a problem by climbing a mountain and meditating after like helping prepare a sacrifice and drinking elixir and then we meet the spirit of the deceased person and then we end up fighting them but it's sort of a test rather than an mm -hmm. actual fight you can't actually lose it so right it's really interesting and thoughtful and engages with a segment of the material that's often ignored mm -hmm. in favor of stories of thor and loki and odin yeah. doing stuff yeah and that's awesome i love when people do interesting things yeah i i feel like in the the context of the mcu has created a not just a a set of characters that behave in a way that we are very accustomed to with like how Odin acts is very specific in the context of the MCU, how Thor acts is very specific, how Loki acts is very specific, but also beyond the characterizations, the pure visual aesthetic that the MCU has put mm -hmm. in everybody's heads is hard to get away from because it's very compelling. It's very pretty. That's valid. But getting slightly outside of, you know, the big three and getting away from Asgard and looking at what you can do in the less explored spaces like take Adam exactly what you're saying take you know a, a strand of something that's not Thor or Odin or Loki and just run with that and see what it gets you I feel like God of War does a lot of those kinds of things in in various small ways because it's not just an Asgard it's a lot of Midgard stuff it's a lot of the other realms and, and sure they make some questionable mm -hmm. decisions at various points but well, they make a lot of questionable <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> decisions but at least they make different decisions yeah it, it it, it has a, a distinct intentionality behind it, and the choices they make are, at least as far as I am aware, uh, are informed by the mythology in a way that is more or less internally consistent <laughs> uh, yeah. and, and leads to interesting things of like what happens when Loki exists in this world but he's a kid and you turn that characterization on its head and you run away from what the MCU does with Loki and you let him be 
this like weird intermediary figure like that becomes interesting. So I feel like mm-hmm. the the more that you can get away from the, those big pillars of what you know what the the, the I, I hate the word zeitgeist, but like getting away from that lets you do more interesting things because there's not something that you are trying to live up to. You're just doing your own interpretation of the work with what you have. I think that's the most interesting stuff that you can do with it, at least to me. Yep, and. <laughs> I won't spoil the more specific bugbears because they will all be on The Thing on April 9th <laughs> and I don't want to spoil my own talking points. I have an hour of them. <laughs> Seriously, you don't want to be here to listen to me ramble about them right now. Yeah. <laughs> so if, if you want the full answer to this question, April 9th, hop on the stream. <laughs> awesome. Well, we're running up on just about time, so we're going to wrap it up with one last question. Red, while she is currently... Um, doing something in the Suez Canal of unnamed, either digging or sinking, we don't know. Um, <laughs> she left us a few questions to answer. Go around the Cape of Good Hope, we can do it! <laughs> is she driving Cape of Good Hope, let's shovel, go. or is she in the boat? There's no way to know for sure. She has a big air cannon pointed right at the boat. <laughs> she left us a few questions to answer, so I pulled one that I think we can wrap up with today. This question comes from OSP Red. Media ages weirdly yes. a lot. What's the movie or show that aged the weirdest for you? For example, the movie or show where your first viewing was the most wildly different from the later viewings. So a piece of media that af- after watching it, maybe a few years down Ooh. the line, your, your opinion on it changed or your impressions of it changed. I feel like an easy answer is any piece of media where a creative mind or a actor or actress presence on it has since become so problematic to the point where it's like, that's a big old yikes. Yeah. So obvious answer, Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, getting outside of that, I I think Avengers was that for a lot of people. That's still kind of a just because of like Whedon-y stuff and like the things, uh, Buffy is, is similar where, you know, what was perceived as cutting edge feminism in the 90s is yes. now like, oh, that's actually regressive as hell. Whoops. Um, so there are a lot Whoops. of instances like those, but I'd never watched Buffy, so I can't really comment on it more than literally what I just said. So good. Um, I don't know, Adam, do you have any instances of that? Because I might need a second to, to think about this. Yeah, I don't have any off the top of my head because I'll be honest, I don't rewatch stuff all that often. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, hmm. I think, um, Blue, what you were kind of skipped over there is an interesting point in that I think a really, the most common instance of this happening is probably when either a creator like Joss, what's his name, um, with Firefly and Buffy and the Avengers and the Snyder Cut coming out. You know, that is something <laughs> that clearly changes the perception very immediately for a lot of people because um, even just the other day, yeah. my roommate and I were watching the 2000s animated movie Hoodwinked. Don't ask questions about that one, um, which I loved as a kid. <laughs> and you know what? It holds up. But... In watching it again, well, except for the early, early animation, but we don't need to get into that. Uh, but watching it again, we looked up some of the actors who were in it, and one of them who voiced the rabbit was apparently an asshole, for lack of a better oh, phrase. Uh, yeah. And that did make it immediately <sighs> strange to see every scenes where this, you know, cartoon rabbit villain was in. So I, I think there's, there is something to that. Although, jumping away from that entirely, I've re- a few uh, months ago rewatched a bunch of the original Yu-Gi-Oh! like four kids dub that I watched as a kid and <laughs> as a child I was like this slaps everyone's getting sent to the shadow realm y- Yugi's so cool and now I'm like oh my god those are actual lines in the dialogue writers made people have to record those in the voiceover booth mm-hmm. I still love it but for completely different reasons and so that kind of like yeah. things that 
don't, I don't know if it ages well, but it ages in an entertaining way. I, that's kind of like yeah. my mm. cinch for this one. That that's a great answer. I one thing that I was thinking of was not exactly something that aged poorly, but a a very different interpretation mm-hmm. that I had from before the the early times uh, and and more recently was I. I absolutely loved the the 2006 2007 Pink Panther movie with Steve Martin. <laughs> it was so funny. Like every time my dad and I went on a road trip, I'd fire up my tiny little DVD player and just watch the Pink Panther again. There was a point in time I could quote the entire movie front to back. Drop me in a scene. I'll quote it through the entire rest of the way. I I knew that movie in and out. I loved it so much. I watched it again like two years ago with with, with two of the Greens. And it held up. It is still so goddamn <laughs> nice. funny. It was weirdly ahead of its time in very key ways. There's a scene where um, where Inspector Clouseau meets the 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 love interest uh, of the movie, whose name I I fully forget. Um, and there's this very weird scene where he's talking about like, oh, you know, certain behaviors are very inappropriate in a professional context. And then he slaps her on the butt and then runs away. And it's like the juxtaposition of he says like, you know, there are so many things in changing workplace where it's important that we recognize you know yada 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 and then all of that just goes out his head and then he he does his thing and, and walks away like that is so like weirdly regressive and progressive at the same time that it's so self-aware in a way that other movies of the time absolutely were not i'm like how how did they like get this so far back compared to other media so that was like a very weird experience in the context of a lot of the conversations we've you know as a society around media been having in the last few years that was like such a weird sense of whiplash to see like wow they're they're hitting on that wow they're they are uh, addressing these subjects i'm surprised uh, but even just in terms of the comedy still a really funny movie <laughs> and i was shocked that i enjoyed it after all those years so not in terms of like a, a huge difference between first viewing and now but like that i appreciate it for so many different reasons than than i did in the beginning i i gotta go with with pink panther 2006 that aged possibly in the best conceivable way <laughs> I, I was very worried that that part was going to go somewhere very different, and I was worried because I remembered liking that movie, <laughs> and I was going to be sad. No, it's yes. great. Rewatch it. It's so fun. It's so much fun. <laughs> they bring in Jason Statham in the very beginning of the movie, only to kill him off three minutes later. It's that is I cannot wow. believe they did that. Maybe my favorite type of gag that you can do in any movie is when you have an incredibly famous actor and you have them come in and either do like two lines of a cameo of something like kind of they do this in Ragnarok with Matt Damon where he's like. Just playing the stage version of, is it Thor or Loki that he's playing? He's playing Loki, right? He's Loki. Yeah. Or if you bring a yeah. character in and then you're like, I'm going to kill him off five minutes later. Like, I love that. I think that is so Brad funny. Pitt in Deadpool 2, whose character is invisible and does not speak <laughs> except for the 20 frames yes. in which he is electrocuted and dies. <laughs> oh, it's so good. This yeah. is, it's kind of a fun question to like, look, I rewatch a lot of stuff and watch mm. just baseline watch a lot of stuff and I think there's a lot of value to going back to things that maybe you really loved as a kid and rewatching not necessarily if it's something that you know going into it that like there's gonna be weird context because of the performers that are in it but if it's something that you genuinely like every morning I woke up on Saturday and I watched the same lineup of shows every single week because that was that's what we did and every once in a while I'll like pick one of those shows to go back to to watch and kind of see like oh, that's why I'm the way I am now. Or like, oh, that aged yeah. in a really funny way. Or that's a t- painful time capsule of the year 2006. Like any yeah. of those three actions can be really uh, fun. Yep. Ni- 90s cartoons. How were those aired? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. God, recently, no, just late at night, it's 
like Curse the Cowardly Dog has been on all the channels oh we can boy. get. And it's like that how did that show get greenlit and also renewed for as many seasons as it is? I, I remember when I watched that show as a kid, I'm like, this is this is weird. This is not okay. <laughs> yeah, I remember it being weird, but not that like viscerally uncomfortably weird. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um no, that, that, no, that's a good one. Um, Batman Beyond, uh, still great. Uh, I almost call it Bed Bath and Beyond uh, because I clearly have uh, moving apartments on the mind. That's how you know you've become an adult is when you start renaming your old favorite cartoons as local economic stores to pick up bathroom supplies. <laughs> I can also imagine like a grandpa rocking in like, are you still watching that Bed Bath and Beyond show? <laughs> it's like, Grandpa, it's Batman Beyond. Batman. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Well, that sounds wonderful. Go back and watch your old favorite cartoons from when you were a kid. It's, I mean, we don't have Red here. I'm it's sure she would bring great up experience Reboot at this point. I feel, like I, gotta mention, <laughs> I feel like I got to plug it for her, even though I have not seen the show. <laughs> we have to honor her by the mention her. of Reboot. <laughs> um, Fair. But that is just about all the time that we have for today. So I'll, I have the show outro here. I, I suppose is the Red Surrogate. I'll go ahead and read that one. Um, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. And if you want more of that sweet, sweet OSP content, go check out our channel on YouTube. Want to ask a question for the next pod? Follow the link in the ask. Follow. Oh, no, I messed it up. <gasps> <gasps> She's cursed oh, no. us from the Suez Canal. This outro is cursed. Oh, so much so. <laughs> follow the link in the description to ask OS pod on Discord for a chance for your question to be featured on air. Until next time, I've been red. <laughs> I've been blue and I've been yellow. You have been yellow. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast yes. today. This was an absolute blast. Uh, it's always fun when when one of us guests on the other person's streams and or videos. Uh, and uh, Absolutely. For, for those of you in the audience, I'm hoping you uh, head on over to twitch.tv slash Ludo History. It's, it's yeah. a good it's a good time. Yep. Or search Ludo History on the YouTube search bar. And it'll come up, oh. and it has all of the thoughts Ooh. from all of the streams uh, and the monthly move. video essays. Nice. Y'all know we're binging this week, and this has been an <laughs> overly sarcastic podcast. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of the Overly Sarcastic Podcast. We'll be back on April 14th with special guest Tier Zoo, so make sure to follow the link in the show notes to ask our very special guest some very special questions. If you enjoyed the show, please rate us and leave a review, and to support the channel and get tons of cool perks, head on over to our Patreon to check out our wares, if you have coin. A special thanks to Adam, aka Yellow, aka Ludo History, for joining us today. Links to his channel, streams, and more can be found in the show notes below.